Welcome to today's episode of The Power of Reinvention. Here we talk with my guests about the dreams, the visions, and the passions that individuals have every day and dare to explore them. Whether it's business or personal, you're entitled to live the life that you want, and no matter what the circumstances, you have the power to create success, fulfill your dreams, and live with passion. That's what I'm talking about. So dare greatly, and happy reinventing, folks. I am so excited to have Rob Master as my guest on The Power of Reinvention today. Welcome, Rob. Hey, Kevin, it's great to be here. I, I may hear my dogs in the background. I think they're excited. I love that. They're excited, they're excited for us. Yeah, they're excited for your voice. <laughs> they're excited I'm doing your podcast. And um, I'm very excited to be here and, um, and Thank connect you. with you. Well, thank you. And for those who don't know, The Power of Reinvention is a podcast that I launched about, oh gosh, almost two years ago um, on the heels of the book that I launched right at the beginning of the pandemic. So here was my crazy pub date of March 7th, 2020, a week before we were all told to go home. So I had to reinvent the book launch plans and there was no book launch party in LA and no book launch party in New York like, like we were planning and all the other things. So what I did was I really pivoted quickly and created the virtual content series. And then I launched the podcast. And so I have been able to reach hundreds of thousands of people with this conversation around reinventing some part of your life. And of course, the great irony is it's all anybody's had to do in the last two years. So whether or not they liked it, invited or or forced, um, this has been a big topic of conversation. Personally, professionally, there are so many parts of our lives when it comes to reinvention. So I did not know I was writing a book for this period of our life, but it has turned out to be some really unusual blessing in a way. And I'm so grateful that I've been able to be in the center of these conversations and really guide a lot of people through sort of the where to's and how for's and the the challenges and the fear and change and all these things that everybody's been kind of dealing with lately. So that is why we are here. And I'm so excited. I mean, Rob, you and I go back so, so far. We just had a very funny conversation before we jumped on. And he noticed I was saying some word a little strangely and asked what that was. And I said it was Australian. And he was like, I've known you this long. And yeah. I never knew that. So, yes, a little a little Aussie girl. Yes, yes. I love it. I love it. Well, I listen, I'm very excited to be here and very excited about your book. And I think the journey you're on with it and um, look forward to sharing kind of my reinvention as well today. I love that. So for those who don't know Rob Master, I'm just going to give a very brief introduction and background. He's an experienced global marketer, a media leader with 30 years of brand building and P&L experience with leading packaged good and retail marketers. Most, most recently, Rob served as vice president of media and integrated marketing for Unilever and sat on the board of Unilever's U.S. business. Today, Rob is an adjunct professor and advisor. He holds a BA in political science from the University of Wisconsin and an MBA from the Olin School of Business at Washington University in St. Louis. And that's just a little teaser of all that Rob is up to right now. And I think, you know, the most monumental thing is that you have just made a major shift in your life after how many years at Unilever? I was there a little over 20 years. I mean, that's... That's and, uh, that's like a lifer for someone as young as you. So, yeah. you know, that that's pretty significant. And um, we're going to delve into all of that. But I want to kind of start with a fun question that I love to sort of take 
take you back and who was little Rob when you were five or 12 or 15? Like, did you really have a sense of what you wanted to do with your life and where you were going? It's funny. I think times were different. Um, I'll start there. One is I wasn't so deep. I wasn't such a deep thinker. I didn't have like these grand plans as a young kid uh, of what I was going to do with my life outside of trying to be a professional athlete, you know, as I oh, yeah? little boy dreams. I, I think that the biggest difference was for people of our generation was we lived in a much more parochial local lens of the world. Um, yeah. There was no internet. Um, you know, cable TV was just actually launching as we were coming of age. So the world of the view that we saw was so local. And yeah. so I, I just, I didn't think about, I think, like this career aspirations. I think today and having two teenage boys, I just think the world and the lens for which they view the world is so different. The expectations, what's possible, um, what you could see and potentially envision for yourself is just so very different than I think when we were kids, um, for better yeah. or for worse. Yeah. Um, and I think, look, you know, kids today, I mean, especially as they're coming out of high school and college, our teenage, my, my boys are now 23 and 26. Yours are on the early side of, you know, what do I want to do when I grow up? And I think it's really interesting because the world has changed. It's not about, wow, I'm going for that corporate job. I'm going to stay for 20 years. Now it's like this entrepreneurial spirit that's embedded in every one of these young people. And it's really fascinating because I've had my own company for 34 years. I mean, that's a real, that's yes. a life, that's a right? Life. And I, I tried, I tried going corporate for a moment here and a moment there. I had little kind of year long stints in between where I tried to pivot and I was like, no, no, free spirit, got to stay, got to run my own agency, got to do my own thing. But I think the tools that people have today, you know, to think differently, yeah. to sort of live their dreams a little bit more is just a little more realistic, right? Yeah, I, I think, you know, our generation, we were very much embedded with what our parents or immediate circle of what our parents' friends did. They were business yeah. people. They were doctors. They were lawyers, at least in my case. That's yep. what Accountants, I knew. right, right. So I think, you know, listen, for me as a, as a little kid, going back to what little Rob was like, I, I was kind of a hustler as a little kid and a hustler in a good way. Um, yeah. Did you do the lemonade stand on the corner? The lemonade stands. But actually, my, <laughs> my big breakthrough came where I lived on a public golf. I lived near a public golf course and they had a hole in the fence. So what I would do was... I started out buying sodas at a local grocery store with a, and I had a cooler and I would sneak on through the golf course. And this is long before they had cart girls or cart boys driving around selling sodas. And, you know, so I always knew it was a hot summer day. People needed drinks. And so there was no, there was, there was, there was demand, but there was no supply. So my friends and I, I started off with my brother and I, and then turned to my friends that we would go buy soda and bring a cooler go on the golf course and we'd sell soda for like 50 cents a can. And yeah. that quickly became like a bigger business because also by like where that was, was a big, a uh, big pond where in front of a hole and people would hit their golf, air and golf balls into that pond. So after hours we would go into the water, believe it or not. And we would like grab the ball. So we start selling cans of soda and golf balls on the golf course. I and, love that. And I was like, you know, 10, 11 years old and you know, 
Amazing. We actually really like gave birth to the card guy and card girl because they started chewing us away because all of a sudden they started themselves driving around with a car cooler and selling a. <laughs> right. Oh. They're like, you're cutting into our business. Yeah, cutting, you know, well, it, it, it was no business. I think they saw we were, we, we, you know, it was their platform and we were like honing in on their platform. So we did that for a couple of years, but it was actually a really fun and great experience. But you know, I, I mowed lawns. I worked retail. I worked at Baskin Robbins until I got sick of ice cream. Like I had like no shortage of jobs, um, which I reflect on, which is a different time. Again, you know, today my kids are so much more active in the community and in school and outside of playing a couple sports, I worked. There's no time. Yeah. I worked and I played sports and that was it. There was no, like, I look back on like community involvement and engagement, mm. which was not part of like, again, our vision of the world. It just so right. kids did that. And I think um, we worked. I mean, it's just a different time, but like, yeah. that's certainly where I got my hustle and my grind. And it was certainly an entrepreneurial spirit, which is kind of ironic because in the end, almost my entire career outside of two startups, short startups, was in a corporate environment from like Taco Bell to Disney to Unilever for 20 plus years. Right. And which I was going to say, like, you know, what was that moment, that first kind of job out of high school moment that, you know, what did, what did you gravitate to and why, you know, what, what sort of pulled you to that very first big job? Yeah. So I left that show as a first, I'm not sure it was a big job, but or big job, but corporate job or first, like, job, job, like, like grow, growing up job. Growing up, yeah. <laughs> My first job job was again, there was, um, not to age or age myself, but you know, there was no internet. So I remember I wrote hundreds of letters. Um, oh. I decided toward the end of college um, that I was going to try like the advertising or marketing industry. That seemed fun to me. My parents had worked in the marketing kind of general management space. I took a couple of classes that seemed interesting in marketing. So I'm like, I'm going to try that, try that out. Yeah. And so I wrote hundreds of letters and I got maybe two or three responses, one for which was uh, an intern for a big agency, Wonderman Cato in Chicago, five bucks an yeah. hour. Yeah. Um, he also gave me a free bus pass, which was terrific, part of the Perfect. compensation. <laughs> that I, meant that a lot. My, yeah, that, that was my first job uh, out of college. And so that really opened my eyes to, I think, the world of marketing, because when you're an intern at a big agency, you get to go from working on like airlines to CPG to retail, and you get to see all these different kinds of businesses. And so that was kind of my, that was my first role. And I just almost like never looked back. Uh, I just fell I love in love. That. And, you know, you, it was probably such a fun time because you're so curious at that age, right? And everything is awe and wonder and interesting and, you know, seeing, especially when you work in the agency business and, you know, I live this every day of my life. It's like the things that happen in one industry that you can even borrow yes. to put into another industry, which feels so new and fresh there. And you get to sort of see so many different ways to build business and build brands and market. And I think we're living in such an interesting era. Things are exponentially moving like lightning yeah. and beyond, which is scary and, yeah. and crazy. But applying that creativity to business and having that kind of perspective that sounds like you've had from a very early phase of your life before you went into one company, right? Yeah. So, so I, I, I did I did the agency world for a couple of years and I think, you know, I'm an adjunct now of juniors and seniors in college, and I really encourage them 
a lot of times they 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 come to me and say, "I want to go work for Unilever or Nike or Procter and Gamble." Or and you know, while those are all wonderful companies, I really encourage them to think about the agency world to begin your journey because mm-hmm. you get to see so much. And of course, Unilever. Where I spent 20 years is an amazing organization, but like you, you kind of like you, you grow up in that ways of working, and it's a great way of working, but it's the only way of working, you know. Yes. And yeah. I think if you, you know, I think I, I found when I came into Unilever as a mid mid career hire 20 years ago, I brought like a totally different perspective, having worked in yeah. retail, entertainment, a couple startups. It was just. And, and I compared myself to brand managers who had been grown up at Unilever, and we just viewed the world differently in marketing because um, I had such a different set of experiences that got me there versus they grew up being associate brand manager and then working their way through that process of Unilever. Yeah. And I just, no, that's, you know, not that one's better than another, although I No, but I think you need perspective and it's wonderful to have that perspective. Yeah. I mean, look, I think we're, you know, what prompted me to sort of really dig into this whole conversation about reinvention is that people would always say to me, and this was 15, 20 years ago, they'd say, wow, you're so lucky. You get to do what you want, when you want, how you want with your life because you run your own agency and I am beholden to the corporate walls and that's my life. And I said, well, it doesn't have to be your life. I chose this by design. This is what I am doing. And it may be 24 seven as an entrepreneur and a female founder, like you got to give it everything. Yeah. There weren't conversations happening in the in the world about female empowerment and have a voice and all these support groups and women's groups that pat each other on the back and lift each other up. None of that existed. Yeah. I just kind of did what felt right for me. And I was fortunate to have parents that I think instilled in me a sense of confidence and can-do spirit. They were, you know, entrepreneur, spiritual, and I traveled the world and lived in different places as a kid. So I knew the world was a lot bigger than what was right in front of me from get from get go. And so I was fortunate to have that. But my whole sort of journey on this reinvention subject matter was as long as you know you're entitled to live your life, you can put one foot in front of the other and figure out what that's going to be for you. And that to me is the message in all of this is that there may be challenges and change and fear. I call change adventure, different interpretation, Um, you know, but really just knowing you're entitled, you know, you are the center of everything happening in your life. I am the center of everything happening in my life. So what do I want to create? And I think people sometimes need the permission to know that they can. And it may be a five-minute reinvention, but it could be a 10-year reinvention. And that's okay too. So in your journey, you've sort of had these incredible experiences. You're getting to sort of show your kids, you know, how to sort of explore all these different things because they're watching your experience and your wife's experience. And, you know, I think that's the greatest gift that we can give our kids as well in this process. I want to ask you, um, mentors, have you had some incredible people in your life that sort of helped you? And I, I think they're so important, um, especially when we're looking at those little pivot moments in our lives and we're unsure. Were there people in your life that sort of stepped in and mentored you or yeah, so, you look up to? Yeah. So I think there's there's no sh- so many if I think back in my career. And what's, what's interesting is that mentorship has become more of a term in the last probably last decade maybe or last – five or six years. Yeah. I yeah. think there were just people in my 
career dating back to the earliest days was on a $5 intern that I just watched. I watched how they engaged the team, how they led, how they thought. And it wasn't like I called them a mentor. It just, you just, I I think it just, we didn't have that terminology. Right. Um, Right. But look, they were your go-to, they were your (laughs) go-tos. My go-tos are just people that I respected or really loved the way they engaged, whatever topic that we were working through. And so there were so many from like all my early agency days, there were just multiple people I, I, I looked at and said, how do they handle a client? How do they think about solving a problem? And I still draw upon some of those people and lessons today, but I've been fortunate enough to have both an array of kind of female and male mentors um, throughout my career from my earliest days to my to my last days at Unilever. I was fortunate in that I grew up uh, in a in a both my parents worked. So I think, you know, you know, for me, I always viewed females in the workplace and in leadership positions as frankly the norm. And I know that's like, you know, now people, I love that. It's hard for people to understand that today. But if I'm going back like 35, 40 years ago. And it's just that you knew, again, the world was smaller. And so my mom came home like my dad came home at night uh, after a long day work with a briefcase and meetings to talk about. And that's what I knew. Yeah, amazing. And I think as I went through my career, like that's how I viewed the workplace. which That's the way it works. That's the way it works. And I think it definitely was a bit in the earliest, so an exception for me versus some of my colleagues, male colleagues. So I think we're just not accustomed to seeing, um, yeah. you know, more of a diverse workplace with with gender yep. roles. And so, yep. uh, but I, you know, again, I've been fortunate, both female and male, throughout my career, to have so many positive role models because I do think, yeah. you know, males and females operate differently in the workplace, and I and, and so it's the, the ability to kind of watch how people operate. Uh, differently, I think is, is very helpful. And I try, and I, I get so much from like, you know, Laura Klauberg, who you may know. Yes, I do. A longtime leader at Unilever, a woman named Elizabeth yep. Charles was a longtime leader when I worked at Taco Bell. Like these were some of my most formidable influences in my career. Amazing. Um, I love that. And then you have, again, working at a company like Unilever, diverse set of like geographic diversity. So Luis right. Tacomo, who I worked with at Unilever, he was my yep. manager for, like 50, you know, 50, 12 years. And just like he, wow. he, his life and upbringing was so different than mine. Right. Like, Culturally, was there was this incredible exchange, exchange. I'm sure. Well, that, I learned yeah. so much from different people that were like, yeah. just were not anything like me. And I think that's what I think has driven me um, to be successful in a large degree is, is being open-minded to a host of different leaders. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> Um, have there been sort of what I call aha moments in your career path? You know, was there a time in all those years at Unilever where you were like, maybe it's time to pivot, to go somewhere else? You stayed, you're there for a long time, or even now you've just left. I mean, you know, to leave out, what, what was that sort of aha moment for you and that epiphany that you said, it's time, now's the right time. And this is where I want to go, or I don't know what I want to do. And I remember having conversations with you before you left. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what, what was like, what's that been like for you? So I think, I think there's a couple aha moments for me in my professional development. Um, yeah. Let me start with a little bit different response to the, to, to that about aha Please. moment is I think 
One of the toughest things I think for people starting out is to actually finish a project, finish a job, see something all the way through. And I was fortunate in one of my early jobs to have a manager who really was so focused on like execution and finishing because it's so easy to like come up with ideas on paper and then like so many ideas get lost along the way. And, but I had this manager who really was so focused on execution and finishing. And I never, I'll never forget like seeing an idea come to life and actually finishing it and how gratifying and satisfying that was and how difficult that was. Because when you're an agency person or a marketing person, there's no shortage of ideas that come across your desk, but the ability to like bring it to life and execute it is actually so much harder than people think. And right. That I, like, I was so fortunate, aha moments early on, this, this manager of mine, she was so focused on execution and it just, it actually set the course for me, like to be a finisher. And, Interesting. and I think that was just like this aha moment early on, because like, you know, I did a thousand things when I was a kid and like, you know, you finish some, you don't, there's no consequence. Right. But this became a very conscious, like way to sit a time. To, to tie a bow yes. around everything you were doing, always. Always. And right? because, because it was only in my career, what I realized was the rest of my career, again, you work in marketing, you're always going to have all these ideas. And it's the ability to take an idea from a, a vision on a chalkboard or a whiteboard or a PowerPoint deck and actually finish it. And so I think that was always something that, that um, was an aha moment I was fortunate to have early on in my career. And then I think there's others, of course, like – when I shifted from the agency side to the client side, I think that was a big right. aha moment because, right. you know, when you're on the agency side, you see a lens for the world of marketing, a discipline of whether it be advertising, promotions, PR, media. You have, it's like, it's, you're dealing with a set of information that's shared with you and you're doing the best you can with that set of information to create whatever your discipline is in marketing. But the moment you step into the client side role, all of a sudden you see this much bigger picture of business, of supply chain, of sales, of like politics that just you were almost immune to or was not on your radar when you were an agency person. So I think that was a huge aha moment. I went from working on the agency side, servicing Taco Bell as a business to being a brand like associate brand manager on the Taco Bell business. And all of a sudden, Interesting. it yeah. was like, I was fortunate to be like the agency and client on the same business. So I, I got a really good look at it. But all of a sudden, it's like you're seeing and understanding like what it takes to run a kitchen, employment. Like, you know, you're talking about like $6 hour employees, like ability to yeah. like handle lunch rushes, like turnover, churn. That was just something on an agency side when you're creating ads and, point of purchase materials. You're not thinking of the impact all the way down that food chain, right? Fascinating. One of the funniest, one of the greatest experience, aha moments just building on that was every corporate employee at Taco Bell had to go work in a restaurant for a week. And that to me was like a remarkable experience because, you know, you had to understand like, we come up with a seven layer burrito or a 10 layer burrito. Like how do you actually operationalize that at, 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 at a lunch rush? And when people are like lining up and it's like that experience again was like on the front line of seeing like what happens to like things we dream up in a lab or on a, on a PowerPoint slide for a new product. It's like, how does right. that get made? How does it get made in the lunch rush? 
And what does that do to like the experience of the consumer? And you're right. And then the authenticity on the other side of the messaging that it enables you to be more connected, more visceral. And, you know, especially in big companies, you know, there's such a disconnect between that moment of the making of yes. versus the wow, we're sitting in an office building, all coming up with ideas for a campaign. But do you really understand, you know, what? is an important connection yeah. between it. So that's a fascinating, what, what an amazing learning experience. And actually, it's the, it's the obsession with the uh, consumer that really, yeah. I think, and, and obsession with the consumer and the people who service the consumer, like your frontline yeah. employees, they represent yeah. the brand much more so than just like your television ad or your signage. It's the person. And so how are you engaging with them? And their products. So I will tell you, like one of my favorite experiences was toward the end of my week at Taco Bell was actually running the drive-through. Like you put that headset on, and something's magical happens. Wow! Um, and you know, it, you're nervous in the. I was super nervous in the. I was actually. Nervous. I love I was that nervous the entire week, but as the is the afternoon because you're kind of sitting around at ten thirty, eleven. They're showing you how to make a taco, the burrito. But all of a sudden, like 12 o'clock. Yeah, you're like, I got this. Got this, this is no big it's deal. Like, <laughs> it's like, boom, the rush comes in. Or when you're doing the drive-through and it's like, and you, you have that headset on and you're communicating with the consumer and you're repeating wow. order back. It's, it's, actually, it's, it's actually a lot of fun and it's a way to connect with the consumer that I think really had, had me thinking about like, which I, I again, I, you could see I talk about what is such detail, but this was, the- I was just going to detail and excitement. Like I wish ago. people could see you because yeah. I'm seeing the, the sort of energy around that. And it's, it's great. Yeah. And this is like 28, 30 years ago. And it, and it wow. stays with me even today when we talk about it. So the- where, so let me ask you then, like in the day to day, Unilever clearly was a very different business, the consumer packaged goods business. You've got a retailer between the product and the consumer. So were there lessons learned in that or that that sort of just that mindset of how do we make sure we're connecting all the dots in the journey, right, between product, retail, consumer, that you found yourself kind of drawing from? Obviously, you can do the same thing. It's a different model, but that must have resonated for you. And how do we make sure there's authenticity in how we, the brand managers, connect with the consumer at the end of the day? Yeah. So it's a great question. And something I learned this from my father, because my father worked in kind of like the CPG retail business as well. And growing up, we never like saw a store, retail store. He didn't want to go in just to check the shelves. And Mm. from a very young age, I learned that the art of that experience. And I still, to this day, and throughout my 20 plus year career at Unilever, I walk into a store and I'll just wander the aisles and my wife and kids are always like, we got to go, we got to go. And I'm <laughs> like, cleaning the bottles of the, of like swabs <laughs> and our deodorant sticks with the with degree. Um, but I, I think making sure you're always at retail, watching consumers shop, looking at, looking at the shelves, where things are right. priced, where things are placed. The psychology of it all. Right? I think those are really important parts that, um, I've obsessed over it in my, uh, in my career at Unilever is really getting out there and kind of seeing, and it's not just like, 
the local CVS or the local stop and shop. It's going to Walmart. It's going to Target. It's going to Dollar General. Like if I'm in a if I'm in a location where I see a Family Dollar store, which is like not in my immediate area from travel, right? I will go and you're like, I gotta check it out. I'm gonna just to walk the shelves to see what consumers seeing. I appreciate that. I I think I'm very much the same way. And because I deal with so many industries, sports, entertainment, fashion, art, lifestyle, culture, events, you know, like so many industries, I am such an observer and so curious. And I'm constantly aware, you know, to the point where it's completely annoying to my husband because everything is relevant to me, you know, like the how and the curiosity or the why or digging in or wanting to have a look or, you know, it's, and I think it's a wonderful thing to have that and to understand the connection, especially when it's what you do for a living Um, and teaching those around you on your team or to be a part of an organization to think that way and to make that connection and to really authentically be able to do your job that much better because you're really connecting with what you're doing. And I think if they're, if you're doing that, there's probably a little more passion in what you're doing. Absolutely. You know, it may not be really fun to market a deodorant brand, but if you're really starting to look at the connection points, you know, and someone's standing there in the aisle, like going, well, which of these 12 things should I pick up? You know, observing this, just the psychology of human behavior is fascinating. I mean, <laughs> you know, I don't think for a second I haven't actually asked people in aisles. Oh, I bet uh, you. <laughs> like, why, why are you picking that product? Or have you tried this new variant from Axe? That's like, like the guys. So, what's the most interesting answer you've actually gotten when you've asked these questions? I, I think it's funny. Consistently, I hear about sense, senses, and smell. Like that's something that people love or dislike different scents. Like that's what I okay. have heard over the course of the years. Again, I, yeah, you know, I spent so much of my time working in the shampoo and deodorant and body wash space. Right. And that is consistently what I hear from consumers is the value yeah. of the, of the scent. Of the um, scent. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And look, you know, those are the things, I mean, research is always done and all of that good stuff, but the raw conversations with everyday people, you know, doing your own test group. I love that. Um, You are now on a new journey. I mean, this is a pivotal reinvention moment for you, which is what prompted me to really want to have this conversation now because you are literally in it. Yes. Um, Where where are you going? What's, what's your true North now? And you know, what, what are you really looking for in this next chapter of your life? So I think, you know, for me, 20 years of selling soap and mayonnaise was a truly like unbelievable professional and personal journey. I mean, I grew up as a person. It's almost like I struggle outside my Taco Bell drive through days to remember almost my pre-Unilever career. Um, but, yeah. you know, I've loved it. And I've been fortunate enough to travel the world and have so many different jobs which is what kept me in Lever for so long. You talk about embracing change. I worked in shopper marketing. I worked in brand management. I worked in media. Like we helped like pioneer a whole new perspective on how to do digital marketing for the industry. So I had so many wonderful experiences, but it, it came to the point where I wanted to take a, a moment and try something else. Yeah. And for me, it, part of that started with teaching. So I'm an adjunct at University of Wisconsin. I started last year and it's almost like I was following my own counsel to, to, to the uh, students. Cause I kept on saying to them, your first job will not define you. Your second job will not define you. 
you should be trying and experiencing new things. And the Sunday yeah. I decided to take my own advice and to try some new things. So yeah. right now I'm, I'm teaching, which I love. Yeah. I just love it Amazing. so much. I feel like that's part right. of my true North. And I go back to what we were just talking about at the beginning of the conversation. Oh, we have a little visitor in the room. How cute. <laughs> and, um, you know, talking about our kids and education and where they're at. So for you to now be in a room and being able to have that perspective and, and really share that with these students must be pretty special. Yeah, I love it. And I yeah. love like how engaged they are, how interested they are. You, you hit on this a couple of times, I think, this curiosity and I love that they're like that. And, you know, obviously I've had this long 30 plus year career. I've seen so many things and the opportunity to share the stories and perspectives. And, you know, I joke with them. I'm not calling it like it is. I'm calling it like I see it. And there's a big difference between that. And I really encourage them all the time to say, this is my view based on my experience and my lens, but that doesn't make it the view and the right way. And, I love that. And I always also talk about, and this is like a big thing, especially in the world of LinkedIn and so-called me, these kind of like media or industry influencers. There's a siren song that we're always hearing. Oh, it's NFTs. It's crypto. It's it's Peloton is taking over the world. We're never going back to gyms. It's New York City's dead. It's And you get to a point of maturity in your career where you've seen enough and you're like, those people just don't understand. They just really don't understand like, really what's going on with the consumer, what's really going on in the industry. They're chasing headlines. So I'm always telling them and I'm always calling out these examples of like so much of this is nonsense. People are just, they want to be like big on social media or LinkedIn. And they have these like, these like these make these bold predictions, which 95% of the time do not come true. And, and then there's like very little accountability or consequence for like, for the takes they have, which are so cold. But I, I really stress to them, like, to like build up their their lens and to recognize that you're going to hear a lot of people who you think or who act like this is how the world is or I'm calling it like it is. They're not. They're calling it like they see it based on this moment in time. And I think that's the biggest thing I try impressing upon them is that it's, it's OK to like take a view based on context of today. But you have to right. feel comfortable with yourself that like six months, two years, the context can change and you should yes. have different perspectives. And you should adapt. You should adapt right. to that. And so I give yeah. examples all the time where like I had an opinion and by the way, it totally changed. Um, the difference is I, I didn't it. necessarily blast it from LinkedIn and the, and the rooftops to be like, I'm calling it like it is. You know, right. Netflix. But, but you've got to be open to that. Sorry, you were going to say Netflix what? Yeah, Netflix is not the future. Like, like a funny story is that a year ago in my class, I did a whole class on streaming. Yeah. Netflix a year plus ago was the absolute clear leader in the space. And so I talked about like Disney's foray and Amazon and Paramount Plus and Peacock. And the question was, who is best positioned to take, not even take the mantle, but to like to challenge in any way, shape or form Netflix? This is a year plus ago. You fast yeah. forward, I had this class two weeks ago, and the, the question was, like, Netflix is clearly not the leader, like the clear leader anymore. Yeah. Um, and in fact, a year from now, Netflix will probably be in a very different space. Um, yeah. And it just, it's just, it's amazing how quickly things can change and the ability for us to adapt, and you hit on this before, to embrace change, which is absolutely yeah. inevitable and happens so quickly. 
um, I think is one of the most important things. Um, and to allow our narrative to change with that yeah. and not be stuck in it, which I think is, you know, the premise of what you're saying here is teaching these kids. My, my kids had a teacher at their high school here in LA that, you know, was the rebel without a cause teacher. And he was the guy that, you know, God bless him, taught my kids not to take anything at face value, yes. to question everything to form their own opinions, to be open to change and changing their opinion because that was a healthy way to, you know, not be so dogmatic, be dogmatic in the moment if you believe in something, but be dogmatic about being open to changing your opinion when things shift and things shift so quickly now that I think it's a wonderful um, thing to teach young people. Um, and they're, they're doing it because they've got access to so much more information than we all had yes. growing up. We were told something and we just had to believe yeah. that that's the way the world worked. Yes. Now giving them the tools to feel confident to do that or to question or turn things, you know, six ways around to kind of look at it from all sides, I think has incredible value. Yes. So I love seeing that. Yeah. And so I think you know, going back to the initial question was like, for me, What's so, your true north? <laughs> so for me, about just it was time after twenty years to kind of explore other opportunities, and so I think teaching was was the impetus to some degree for that. Um, that was like my a different aha moment for me because I brought in all these different mm. speakers. I was preparing for class. I was just I was seeing so many other amazing companies, organizations, and leaders do different things, and I got to the point to say I want to do something else. And right. so uh, what that is, I'm, I'm exploring, I'm talking I love to that. people, but I, I really, I, this is about taking a deep breath and, yeah. and just exploring. And I think it's amazing. Yeah. I'm, I'm so overjoyed as I say to anybody at this phase, nobody loves a reinvention more than I do. And watching people in that journey, just being able to sit back and look, not everybody has the luxury of sitting back for a moment, but there are so many ways to be able to still be on that journey. No matter what, you're working nine to five, you're raising five kids, you're a single parent, you're working two jobs. It doesn't mean you can't have your dreams and find five, 10, 20 minute windows to explore. We've got so much at our fingertips. And yeah. as we talked about mentors and people who are in our lives that, you know, once you know you have the permission to to have this journey, to explore what else is possible, the world is yours. Yeah. It's just a question of how much, how little, what part of your life and where to do it. And so the notion that you're taking the time now to be able to do that and just be open to what's really going to excite you. I'm excited because I'm sending you a copy of my book yeah. so you can, you, you'll get a couple of nuggets of some of our peers and friends and people you don't help, help with my. Yeah. And you know, you've got 26 power tools in here that are going to give you some exercises to do that are really incredible. Um, but it'll be really fun to kind of revisit this with you in the process. And, you know, I, I sense that you're going to be having a lot of fun along the way. Yes. It's, it's been, I left, I left universe September 30th of this year and yeah. I've been super busy, super I know. engaged, meeting all <laughs> different people um, between teaching, getting involved with, some emerging areas around college athletics and this whole name, image, and likeness, helping my Amazing. school's athletic department launch their foray into that. Just, it's a whole window of different people. I've just, I haven't had the 
I met so many amazing people at youth through Unilever and at Unilever, but this is a whole different window of that. And right. And a way to interact with them on something yes, completely different. different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ultimately. Different is fun. Yeah. No, different is fun. My next chapter, whatever that is, is really going to be centered and focused around people. Um, I know it sounds a little bit corny, but that's what you know. that's what energizes me. I mean, what we do is a team sport. And so well, I remember when we started getting into lockdown for COVID, I was like, this is the absolute worst thing for me. Because I, I get, I derive energy from people in person. Me too. I feed off that I too. Feed off yeah. that. I have to say, like, I figured out a way through Zoom and Teams to like to pick up that and that energy. So it wasn't nearly as bad actually as I anticipated. Um, but for me, I think it's going to be around. You know, I tell young people today, your managers will go and come. So find the right organization, find the right brands, and learn and absorb. And I still believe that, but I feel like where I am in my career, I'm less concerned about like the brand and, and its stature and more concerned or more focused on surrounding myself with the right people. Yeah. Um, you know what? That's, I think that's, that's my so important. Voice, you know? And, and the truth is that at our ripe old age that we are, um, with all the experience and the people that we've met, we get to pick and choose the people we want to play with. Yes. And that's, you know, fortunately for me in my life and my agency and everything I've done, that's always been, you know, number one, two criteria yeah. is who are the people, if it's going to be two o'clock in the morning and I'm staying up working on something with someone for someone, that is the benchmark. Do I like them enough that it's okay that it's two in the morning and I'm doing this? And you know, you're, you're there, you're at a place where, you know, you may not have been able to pick the people in the rooms with you over the years necessarily, although I'm sure, you know, it was all great, but now you get to really have, you know, have your say in who you want to play with and, and look, you know, it's life, it's work, it's the things yeah. we do to get by and to have a full life and, and have joy, whatever that means to us. And, you know, I'm such a proponent of that. Like, why wouldn't you? This is your one amazing life. So, absolutely. So, I've got a fun question. I want to kind of wrap things up. I don't want to wrap things up, but since we have to, um, if you were to have a dinner party and you could have three or four kind of amazing, interesting people at that table, drinking wine, breaking bread, having a great conversation, people that may be dead, alive, just that are so, you're, you're so curious to be able to want to have that kind of conversation with. You got a few fun ones that you want to share. So I have it, I have, I'm going to split this up into two parts. Again, the, the curiosity part uh, of me. So first is maybe the more the, maybe the usual suspects. Um, I'm fascinated by people who've overcome adversity and faced just adversity and like, Stay driven and focused. Uh, so people like Jackie Robinson, who I think broke the mm. barrier, like think about what his life was like, yeah. Yeah. Um, how he had to manage his emotions, conduct himself for an entire race of people and, and, and how he broke through in such an amazing way. So he's someone I would love to kind of hear and understand that journey. Another in that yeah. same vein is someone like Ellie Wiesel, who is a Holocaust uh, survivor, yes. leader, and like understanding like, you know, people, people think we have tough times now, but you know, Ellie, Jackie, these are like amazing stories of perseverance and, 
And in those dark, quiet moments at night, like how did they feel? The feel. angst, the pain, the like, the challenge, yes, the will to yes. get up and, and push against the world to yes. be, to persevere, right? Yes. So like I'm fascinated by people like that who have just faced the world and in some of the darkest moments of the world. And as you said, yeah. in that moment of silence, like how do they get motivated? How do they? Yeah. And then the other is more of a curiosity, which I think is very relevant today, is around just the enormous hate of racism and anti-Semitism and, and sitting down and really understanding with like how these per perpetrators of hate, people like Kanye West or Richard Spencer or David Duke, like like yeah. understanding where that hate comes from, like why, why? what is it about a black person or a Jewish person? And that, why is it so hard to just not love, but just be okay? Yes. With, with the differences, with the you. differences in people and yes. humanity. Yes. I mean, so, humanity is so much larger than that, right? Yes. So it's so, fascinating. That's fascinating. Yeah. Can we get Gandhi at the table so that he can yeah, also yeah, yeah. kind of, <laughs> he might be yeah. a good example for them of how example. one can live. <laughs> I, I want to say, is it real? Like, do they really, does David Duke, who's like in the grand wizard, does he really feel that way? Like, and what drives him to stay, say and like act the way he does? And Kanye was like the hate that he is spewing and this like, but like, what is it? Like, why? And I think or so is it a power a, control platform yeah, like, that is the ego, you yeah. know, so, 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 scary thought. So, so yeah. it's a very, like, very big difference of people between, of Huge, course, but fascinating. Yeah. Robinson, yeah. Wiesel, who I think these amazing uh, uh, individuals who have persevered and like set an example. Yeah. And then the other side of it are people who are like promoters and perpetrators of hate and understanding like why, what, what gets up up in the morning like when they get in the morning, why the hate? Like why, what is it that yeah. you're That's a fascinating thought right there. Yeah. Wow. Might have to <laughs> dig a little deeper on one of those one day. Um, amazing. Rob, I, I just love this. You know, you and I could talk forever, but I know you've got stuff to do and we're sitting here on the eve of Thanksgiving. Yeah. So I'm really appreciative that we were able to make the time to do this. I'm thankful for you being in my life yeah. and this time Likewise. together. And I cannot wait to see what comes next. I know I will have a front row seat and be able to catch up with you on all of that. Um, but thank you for being on the power of reinvention today and part of this conversation. And is there anything else, you know, before we leave, you want to share or pontificate no, I just, on or. I, don't know. I, I think I've done enough pontification, but I certainly <laughs> appreciate that and, and thankful for our relationship. And uh, it Likewise. goes back um, probably well over a decade and right. always enjoy seeing you and, and looking forward to, to following some of your, your power tools on reinvention in my next year. Oh, fabulous. All right, my friend. Thank you. Talk soon. And thank you everybody for being here today. Thanks for listening to The Power of Reinvention. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Wouldn't mind a five-star review. It would be greatly appreciated. Also, be sure to visit thereinventionexchange.com to share your reinvention stories, suggest a guest, join the newsletter mailing list, get access to my book, which is called Reinvent Your Life, What Are You Waiting For?, and discover fantastic bonus content with my blogs, and listen in to the Reinvention Virtual Chat series. 
Don't forget to join me next week for another episode. Please share with a friend. And thank you for listening. Happy reinventing.